You're listening to the Growth Experts Podcast. So if you're looking to 10X your business by learning proven growth strategies, you're in the right place. During my interviews with top CEOs, entrepreneurs, and marketers, I dig deep to uncover the real strategies, hacks, and tools to help you achieve your goals. And I'm your host, Dennis Brown. Hey, have you ever wondered how I generate thousands of inbound leads per year using LinkedIn? Well, this episode is sponsored by my guide, The Ultimate Guide to Generating Inbound Leads with LinkedIn. This is the definitive guide on how to consistently generate inbound leads using LinkedIn and social selling. So if you want a copy of that guide, just send a text to 44222 with the word L-I guide, all one word, L-I guide to 44222, or you can go to my website at askdennisbrown.com forward slash guide. Now let's get on with the show. Hey, welcome back, everybody. And today we have yet another amazing guest. His name is Ali Mirza, and he is a sales expert, an entrepreneur, and an author. And we're going to talk about all those things today. And just to tease you a little bit, we're going to talk about how to optimize an underperforming sales team. Now, this may seem straightforward, but I assure you, I had a conversation with Ali before this, and sometimes the glaringly obvious is not quite so obvious when it comes to sales. Okay. So we're going to dive into this day, but today, but before we do that, welcome to the show, Ali. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Thanks for being here. It's a topic we've never talked about before. We have talked about different sales strategies and tactics that people use for growth. And I think when you think about growth, right? I mean, it seems like during every entrepreneurial journey where there's salespeople involved, whether they be inside or outside salespeople, you always have individuals or teams that are underperforming. And one of the ways to increase your revenue is to optimize that. So I think this is a glaringly obvious topic and I think it should shed some light. But before we do that, give us a one or two minute background into kind of why you became an entrepreneur, why you focused in on sales. There's got to be a story there, right? Give us a couple minutes of that. And then uh, we'll talk a little bit about your book and then we'll dive in. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I became an entrepreneur just pretty much the same reason why everybody else became an entrepreneur, uh, becomes an entrepreneur is because you, know, you don't really want anyone else telling you what to do. Unfortunately, you don't really realize that when you become an entrepreneur that you don't have one boss, you have every single one of your clients becomes your boss. And then all of your people that work with you, all your team members, they become your boss because you're held accountable to them. So I think that misconception needs to be cleared up. But nevertheless, I do love the control aspect of what I have. And so that's, that's probably what's kept me in it. But my background, I'm, I'm just... I'm, I'm a salesman through and through. I started my sales uh, career back when I was like 21. I was a guy that would go door to door selling life insurance. Did that for four years. Uh, built up a sales team of 50 reps. I was a sales manager and things were great. But ultimately, that I knew that that's not where I wanted to be. It's not what I wanted to do. I, I, you know, I call it esoteric aspirations, but it really was something else I wanted to do. So close to about 10 years ago, I started uh, Rose Garden, my consulting firm. And effectively, what we do is we go into organizations and help build up their sales teams. And you know, so if you you know have three to five reps, but you want to go from five to fifty, that's where we come in. We'll help build out all the systems, processes, comp structures, playbooks, scripts. You know, pretty much anything and everything that's required in order to scale a sales team. And there's really three things or three ways in which we do it. Uh, the first way is you know we'll look at your strategy. Right? Why would somebody buy? And unfortunately, a lot of people, they look at data to determine this. And actually, you, you probably shouldn't look at data to determine this because data is all reflective and it's all historical. 
And if you're looking to move forward, you cannot use derivative information, especially if you're trying to roll out a new strategy. Otherwise, it will be just that derivative. So we look at actually behavioral economics to try and understand why human beings buy and why they act the way they do. Because people don't make decisions based off of logic. You know, they make them off of emotion and then they justify with logic. Everything's post-rationalization. So the first part is always the strategy. This, yeah, go for it. Well, before, before, we, before we spill the popcorn in the lobby here, because I know you're going to, he, he, being an expert on this topic, you're going to be able to just roll right into it. But let's do this because I think you're going to unpack some of this topic as a part of that those three components. So why don't we do this? Let's talk a little bit about your book. That's exciting, right? You have a brand new book coming out soon. It's called Predictive Closing. Predictable Closing. Predictable Closing. Okay. Tell us a little bit about that. What inspired that? And just give us a little bit more on that. So so Predictable predictable Closing is actually a continuation of the book written by Aaron Ross, Predictable Revenue. And Aaron and I have been friends for many years, and we've always kind of talked a lot about how his model allowed, you know, SaaS and, and sales companies nowadays to kind of really build what, what they build. However, all top of funnel opportunity creation. And what we realized is that while that was working out really well, the close ratios were going lower and lower. And the reason behind that is because, and, and, and effectively, reps were missing all their quotas all the time. I think quota attainment is an all-time low right now. So, you know, we just kind of ex- were exploring the topic as to why is that happening? And a lot of that has to do with, you know, quotas are being set too low. People are, you know, it's cultural inside of those sales organizations. It's, it's not just training. It's so much more than just that. So effectively, that's what inspired it. And so this book is all about, okay, now that you've created the opportunity, what do you do with it? How do you ensure that you close it? What happens you know, from discovery right through close and you pick up the check? So that's what this book is really going to take a deep dive as to why you know the problems are are what they are and how to solve them. So you co-authored it with Aaron Ross. When does it go? When does it release? I think you said this fall. Yeah, late summer, early fall of 2021. Yeah, well, we're, just to give everybody some context, we're recording this in early May, so late summer, fall. You know, and I'm sure you'll say give an opportunity for people to kind of get a little bit more information about this maybe at the end of the podcast. But for now, why don't we do this? Why don't we pull this apart? Because this is an interesting topic and I think there's different layers to it. So pull this apart, how to optimize an underperforming sales team. I think there's a, there's a little bit of a framework you had. Let's, let's see what we can do. Yeah, absolutely. So go ahead, t- kick it off. So effectively, if you, so if you're the CEO and you're looking, at, you're looking at your sales team and they're missing numbers, right? Well, first and foremost, I mean, if you got a sales leader, you got to sit down and talk to them. But let's just say you don't have a sales leader and you got to figure out, okay, what do I do now? Unfortunately, at this point, just telling them to work harder typically is not going to solve the problem. Now, it may. I, I will tell you this. Most sales teams don't work hard enough. However, that you have to ask yourself, why aren't they working harder? Right? Because in theory, if they knew that their efforts would result in, in, in results, they probably would do it. It's that the fact that they don't believe that the harder they work, the more money they will make or the more sales they will make. So you have to really take a step back and analyze, okay, what is going on? So you have to figure out what the challenge is. Nine times out of 10, the challenge is the confidence of the sales team in what it is that they're doing. Part of that can be solved with training, but most of that has to be solved with, in my opinion, with strategy. So if you explain to a salesperson, hey, this is why this prospect will buy, do it in this particular manner, say this in this way, this is your position, this is your angle, this is your pitch. If you explain that in a, in, in a compelling way and they believe it, they buy it, they understand it, they internalize it, they will actually do it. 
Now, from there, once you have solved that from there, then it's about setting those clear expectations, right? Too many, whether it be sales leaders, CEOs, or whoever, have these conversations and then nothing changes after the fact. And that, that's the problem with the execution because expectations weren't set clearly inside of those meetings. The crucial conversation was never had, which was, okay, now that you are well-provisioned, now that you are well-armed, what are you going to do about it? And you cannot let them get away, uh, get out of your room or your office and let them just basically say, you know what? I just have to work harder. Yes, I just have to try. No, 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 no. We need to set clear expectations. What does that look like? Right now, if you get talking about your BDRs, okay, how many more calls? What is going to be the result of these calls? You're talking to your AEs, your, your closers, okay? How many more, um, you know, discovery calls or how many more, you know, proposals are you going to send out? What is going to be your hit rate on those proposals? I don't need my salespeople just send out proposals for the sake of sending out proposals because they're trying to hit some numbers, right? And magically something will, 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 will turn up. No, 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 no. So we need to have those clear expectations and that accountability set. And you can't just, you can't just wing those conversations and, and hope that people will just intrinsically want to help you. It doesn't work that way. You have to be very methodical, systematic, and very, very intentional when you're having these conversations. So let me ask you a question. You brought up an interesting point, and it was about numbers and you know conversion rates based on you know the number of calls, the number of discovery calls, the number of proposals, the number of new clients, right? You know, there's I guess there's a little bit of how do you when when you look at an organization and you're trying to optimize for performance, which is ultimately revenue, right? That's the ultimate performance number when it comes to sales, right? How do you extrapolate those numbers? Because as a consultant that comes in and looks at this, you're seeing, you, first, you have to determine if they're underperforming because the owner may be wrong. They may be overperforming. In most cases, they're probably not. But how do you go through that process of understanding and, and defining those numbers? Because obviously, you're not going to let the BDRs or AEs define those numbers, right? And sometimes the owners just arbitrarily throw numbers out. What's your process for that? Because that's, that's always been interesting to me. And having owned multiple businesses, I know sometimes there's a little bit of science in that, but there's also a little bit of guessing. <laughs> there's a little bit of hypothesis, right? So talk to me about that for a minute. I, so I'm, look, man, I'm old school. I think you, yeah, you lick your finger, you put it in the air. If it smells good, you go for it. I, that's the way, that's, that is the right way to do it, okay? You can sit there and you can analyze numbers and you'll post-rationalize whatever story it is that you want. But the reality of it is when you commit to a number and you have to commit to it, you will find a way. And so I, and, and, and this, this, the reason why people have so, many, so much difficulty is because of their resistance to change and their resistance to dealing with what reality is. This is the reality in which you must succeed. And all of a sudden, once you start thinking in that way, you will create your strategy that will allow for it. Think about the fact that Elon Musk is trying to put a damn rocket in, this, in space and put, it on, put people on Mars, right? I mean, like, on what, what numbers told him that he could do that, right? It's, all of your numbers are historically reflective of what has occurred. And if you rely on that, you will continue to deploy the exact same strategies and get derivative results, which are typically diminishing. Now, the only way to grow a business is through visionaries. And you have to have a vision and an understanding. And with the prototypical visionary doesn't care about numbers and data and whatever, they just they get a gut feeling as to what they think can be done. You know what? Shit, maybe I'm. I don't know if I was supposed to swear or not, but maybe you're wrong. Okay. You're good. You're good, by big, the way. Big deal, right? It's one of those situations where you aim for the stars, you land on the moon, right? I mean, it's like, 
so what? You missed your number, but you actually were able to pivot and set forth a strategy. That's the key, doing it in a different way. So too many people sit here and be like, well, you know what? Historically, we've done $200,000 a month per rep. We've got 10 reps. We need to set the quota at 2 million. It's like, well, shit, how do you know that $200,000 is their max up? I've gone into organizations where it's like $200,000 a month. What's your average deal value? You sit there and you break down. You're like, well, what if we were to increase the average deal value and ask them to do three more? How would they do three more? If someone had a gun to your head and said, I need you to bring in three more deals, how would you do it? Right? You start thinking in that way, it changes really. And maybe by the end of that conversation, we figure out, oh, it's not possible. Okay. At least we had that exploratory conversation, but it lets you know where the line is. Too many people are too afraid to do that. That's the problem. Got it. Makes sense. I like that. And and what's funny is it kind of it resonates with me because in the last in a B2B service company that I started back in 2003, the first year, I set the goal. We were a startup, had no experience, and I set the goal at a million dollars. And and the everybody around me, my whole team looked at me like I had a big green eyeball sticking out of the middle of my forehead. And rather than saying, "Well, you know, I'm going to be conservative on the goal," I I was not overly conservative. But then I matched the plan to the aspiration, right? So I had this goal, this aspiration of hitting a million dollars our first year. And even though everybody thought I was crazy, next thing you know, we hit 1.2 million. But, you know, so I, I agree with you. I think that's interesting. And there, so, okay, cool. So let's continue on. You said that first you have to figure out the first phase of it was you had to understand. You have to understand the problem. The problem, right? Yeah. And that's, I mean, that's, I'm assuming that's interviewing all the sales reps, interviewing the sales leader. No, you're not. You, no. Okay. Sales will just tell you, oh, it's the leads. I need better leads, right? I mean, I don't It's do always that. the leads, right? Always the leads. Right? I want the Glenn Gary leads. No, no, they're, <laughs> they're, man, don't, don't talk to salespeople. It's a waste of time. They'll just, they'll complain, the bitch, moan, like, no need. You need to understand what's going on in these calls. You got to audit these calls. You don't want to audit these calls, then, and you don't deserve to be successful. So that means you basically have to record or you have to listen in on, on the, the actual sales activity that's going on during those calls. And then you have to build a strategy around that to correct or duplicate what's working or cut out what's not. Correct. We went into an organization. I listened to about 100, about 100 calls. I think it was, it was close to about 110 calls. After listening to 110 calls, they range anywhere between 15 minutes and 45 minutes long. Listened to every single one of them, audited them properly timestamp, coaching notes, all of that. After doing so, inside of three months, once we deployed the strategy, we took their average deal value from $15,000 to $77,000. You can sit there and pontificate on numbers all day you want, but it, and, and talk to and interview reps, but they're going to tell you garbage. Garbage is not going to help you. The only way is to get their real pulse on what's going on on these calls. I've never heard a salesperson be like, you know what? I just didn't try. And I just, I'm a total shit salesperson. But you know how many, how many salespeople... I can say that about probably about 90% of them. Yeah. They don't, they rarely does anybody want to take ownership for their own failures, regardless of whether they're salespeople or not. Yep. Makes right. sense. All right. So you did step one. What's after that? Okay. So now that you figured out what the problem is, okay. You listen to, let's just say, you don't have to listen to hundred calls. Let me listen to 20, 20 to 30 calls. And you're like, oh, okay, here's what's going on. Then, yeah, but if it's worthwhile, listen to a hundred. I mean, why yeah. not? I mean, more yeah. data is, you know, if you have, 10 salespeople, you're going to want to listen to calls from all of them. So if you listen to 10 calls from 10 salespeople, that's a hundred calls. That's not a lot. I think it's probably one of the most important steps here, Correct. right? Okay. So once you've audited the calls, you've broken down, okay, these are the challenges. You know, break them down into three to five key issues. And what you're looking for is systemic issues, right? You're not looking for, hey, you said this and your inflection was off. Hey, you said this, but you could have phrased it in this way. No, you want to look for systemic issues, right? 
this was a video production company that that we were that we were working with that we took the average yield from fifteen to seventy seven. The challenge that we figured out was they weren't differentiating themselves well enough. They were they were being commoditized, and so when you then effectively they were the Rolls Royce of the industry, and they were the, by far and away the most expensive. So when if they're selling something for fifteen twenty thousand dollars, somebody else is selling it for two grand, and so it's like it was it was very difficult for me to differentiate. So we figured out that's what we had to do. So once you figure out what you've audited, all the calls, you figure out what the problems are, you break them down into what the systemic issues are. Once you have the systemic issues, you yourself need to solve it. You need to figure out, okay, how, how can this no longer be a problem? So with this situation, it was a strategy problem. It was a pitch and a positioning problem. So that's where we fixed that. We created the positioning so that it would differentiate. And once we did that, then we rolled that out to the salespeople. So you figured out what the problem is. Come up with the solution for the problem. Once you've come up with the solution for the for the problem, you need to have the crucial conversation and sit down your reps and set those appropriate expectations. Tell them exactly what they're going to do. I do not run a democracy. I do not run. This is a meritocracy, right? This is my organization. You're going to do as you're told, and I don't care what your feelings are. The personal feelings of an individual have very little to do with what what creates competitive advantage inside the organization. So we're going to tell you how you're going to be successful. And you're either going to want to buy in because disengagement is not an option. And so from there, then you're, you're going to sit down and you're going to actually execute. Because the reality of it is, is everyone sees, oh, you went from 15 to 77,000 inside of three months of so your average deal value. Okay. Yeah, that's great. But there was a lot of accountability. There was a lot of clear expectations that were set. And we do not mince words. We will tell you exactly what you're going to do and how you're going to do it. And you either buy in or you don't. But we're like, it would be. Just think about it this way. If I know something to be true and I know something to be correct, I allow you to do something different. It would be irresponsible of me to allow you to do something different. So why would I let you do it? So how long is this process? Explain to me a little bit from the time you come into the organization and you start evaluating through to seeing, you know, what you would consider to be like a reasonable amount of time to start seeing a, a significant bump in performance. What's the timeline for something like this? Help me to understand that. So we do a one-day assessment. After the one-day assessment, we have a clear understanding of whether we can, can or cannot help you inside of... After that one-day assessment, we'll deploy our, our strat, uh, we will deploy our, our team to sit down and actually work with you. That might take anywhere between, let's say, 45 to 60 days, depending on the size of your organization, depending on the challenges we're fixing. We'll correct them inside of 45 to 60 days, sometimes as late as 90 days, depending on if, you know, politics we got to work with and figure things out. But instead of 90 days, you'll have a plan. You'll have exactly what needs to be done. From there, then it just boils down to your, to your sales cycle. So, because I want to set clear expectations, right? If you have a, you know, a six-month sales cycle, whatever we change today, and if it does not involve us shortening the sales cycle, you will materialize and you will feel and actualize the difference six months from now. So, not, you know, this, there's no get rich quick pill, right? So it takes work. It takes effort. But... It only takes us 60 to 90 days to deploy and then build it all out. Once we built it out, then it's just, you know, your sales cycle and, and you know. Just to take. Okay, great. All right. So is there anything else you want to add about this whole optimization component? I know that, you know, you don't mince words. I mean, it's pretty obvious, you know, you're used to dealing with salespeople. You're used to dealing with numbers. You're used to dealing with people that are, you know, groups that are underperforming and are looking to make a change. So what else would you add? Is there any other advice you'd give people before we move on to a couple more questions and wrap it up for today? I would simply say never apologize for, for not taking it easy. That's just, I mean, I'm paid strictly for performance. I am paid 
to make you money. And that's all I'm going to do. So, I mean, if you want to pay me to be your friend, I mean, we can do that. We can work out a proposal for that, but that's usually not why people pay me. Yeah. You mentioned something earlier too, before we hit record, and that was sales leaders and entrepreneurs and even salespeople have a tendency to overcomplicate things. And you know, the more complicated you try to make it, the less likely it's going to perform. So I, li- I really like your kind of very hands-on, fundamental, just looking at the facts and then trying to understand, just breaking those challenges down and then just doing it piece by piece. So I like that. All right, great. So listen, let's ask you a couple of rapid fire questions, then we'll wrap it up for today. What's your favorite growth tool, app, software, something that you use to grow your business? Oh, my Google Calendar. I'd be a mess without my Google Calendar. So yeah. it's not much, but I, that may, maybe Slack. I love Slack too. All right, cool. And what would, besides your book that's coming out, what would be a book that you've read that's maybe helped you on your journey or you think might help the audience on theirs? Uh, there's a few, but I mean, I love 48 Laws of Power by Robert Greene. I think that was fantastic. I think that Predatory Thinking by Dave Trott is fantastic. And then Rory Sutherland's book, Alchemy. That's really good too. All right, great. Well, listen, Ali, why don't you let everybody know how they can maybe learn a little bit more about the book. If you have some information there, you could share with them or to connect with you on social or online. And then uh, we'll wrap it up for today. Yeah. I mean, you can find me on LinkedIn. It's Ali Mirza. I think there's another Ali Mirza. I'd like to believe I'm a little more handsome than he is, but I'm sure he'd probably say the same thing. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Just rosegardenconsulting.com. All right. Awesome. Listen, appreciate you being here, my friend. Congrats on all your success. And uh, I'm sure we'll talk again soon. Absolutely. Thank you, brother. Listeners, I want to thank you for tuning in. I truly appreciate your time. If you're enjoying the podcast, then do me a huge favor. Click the subscribe button now and please leave me a review. It would mean a lot to me.